There I was. It was a little hard to breathe because I had just gained about 7,000 feet in elevation by my own feet. I sat on a rock in the bright sunshine on the edge of a ridge, took off my 40 or 45 pound backpack, took a deep breath, realized I was out of water. My feet were hurting, my neck was hurting, my shoulders were hurting, my hips even hurt. Everything hurt. I leaned back and thought, this is awesome. Hi, I'm D. Hicks, and welcome to the School of Leadership, leveraged lessons from high-impact leaders. For the past 30 years, I've researched the disciplines, habits, mental models, and assumptions of the most effective leaders. This podcast takes what I've learned from over 2,000 of these influencers and distills it into practical tools and tips you can use immediately. So let's get started. Just toasting the foot of my cigar today for our conversation. Wow, that's looking good. You know, you know how you're supposed to light a cigar if you're a cigar aficionado, it's supposed to be patient and gently call it toasting the foot. <laughs> I've had that happen on pavement before in a hot summer day in eastern Washington. <laughs> there we go. Toasted the foot. Well, hi, thanks for joining me. I hope your day is going well. I'm not sure when you listen to this. It looks like a lot of folks uh, listen to these podcasts on Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. There's a few of you who catch up on Tuesdays. I don't know what's up with that. It seems like Tuesday mornings seem to be a time when several folks download this and listen to it. Uh, maybe you just download it and uh, feel like someday you're going to actually listen to it. Ah, that's okay. Well, thanks for taking a little bit of time on this, the fourth in a series of six podcasts called That'll Leave a Mark, Our Relationship with Pain. Welcome back. This is part four in a six-part series on our relationship with pain. Let's talk today about lightening the load. Sometimes we make the pain that we experience more painful. We make it harder than it needs to be because we're carrying things we shouldn't carry. Several years ago, I discovered one of the most beautiful places I have ever been. I've returned to it many times since. Nestled in the North Cascades, beautiful lake called Ingalls Lake, which is at the foot of Mount Stewart, slightly to the north and east of the lake, and Ingalls Peak, slightly to the north and west of the lake. In order to get to this beautiful, idyllic alpine lake. I would hike after driving hours and hours on the North Fork of the Tianaway Road outside of Cleelum, Washington, heading straight north, up a beautiful valley that got steeper and taller the further north we would get, up to the trailhead of the Emerald Basin Trail. This is a trail that's about about nine-mile hike in order to get into Engels Lake. On this hike, we start out at about, I don't know, about 4,500 feet in elevation. Now, mind you, I live at sea level. 
levels. So starting a hike at 4,500 feet of elevation, if I hadn't done it very much, then I noticed it right away. <laughs> because right down here at sea level, we get a lot more air molecules we can pull into our lungs than we do at 4,500 feet. And then we do at about 7,000 feet, which is where that trail peaks. We hike up back and forth with, I don't know, 100, maybe 120 switchbacks to get to the top of a ridge that is at about 7,000 feet, give or take a few feet. Feels higher, especially the first time of the season hiking up there when there's still a little bit of snow and I'm out of shape and not used to it. Getting way up to the top of that beautiful ridge, hiking mostly north to get to the top of the ridge and then back and forth heading a bit to the east and turning back north again and now descending down into this beautiful, beautiful valley. At the bottom of which, descending about as far as we climbed up, is Lake Ingalls. It is stunningly beautiful. You could do the Google and look for some pictures of it. It's spelled I-N-G-A-L-L-S. So Lake Ingalls in the Cascade Mountain Range, one of my favorite places to hike over the years. And I've always gone in and stayed up there four, five, six days, but the trip was excruciatingly difficult physically for me because it was always the first trip of the year. And as I recall, I didn't really enjoy the hike that much up or down. <laughs> I didn't like it all that much. But the reason I did it was because it's the only way to get into Lake Ingalls. Stunningly beautiful place. So it was worth the effort. It probably wasn't worth the effort the first time I did it because I hadn't seen the lake yet. But I remember it being incredibly challenging, taking several hours, mostly because we would stop along the way. And the reason we stopped so often along the way was probably because we packed way too much stuff. <laughs> <laughs> really experienced and well-seasoned high country mountaineers and backpackers are very, very careful about every half an ounce that they put in their backpack. They're even careful about the half an ounce that they put in their pockets or an ounce that they put around their hips. They're careful about how much their boots weigh so that they don't carry anything that is not absolutely necessary. And even those things that are absolutely necessary for the trip, they make sure that they are as high-tech and low-weight as possible so that they don't get drugged down by those things as they're hiking up the ridge. Well, that's probably not how I started. I remember taking along things that I thought would be nice to have. And I remember throwing on my backpack and feeling, oh, well, this is okay. This is not a big deal. And walking around for two or three minutes with it on my back, feeling like, oh, this is comfortable. Assuming that if I could carry that weight for two or three minutes or five minutes or walk up a set of stairs with it and be fairly comfortable, that I would be able to do that for hours. Gaining 4,000 feet in elevation and losing 3,000 feet in elevation or something like that. On a hot day, <laughs> I assumed that if I went up into the mountains that it would be fairly cool, and it was a little bit cooler, but it was not a lot cooler on the days that I would hike up there. I do remember swearing to myself, I will never pack this much stuff again. You know, then the next year when I would take that same trail up, I would find myself again hauling things that I really did not need to haul up that mountain and then back down that mountain again. But over time, I slowly learned a thing or two about high country backpacking. And I'm no pro by any means, but I learned a few things that relate directly to our conversation today. So you're listening to this likely because you have either experienced some sort of setback, disappointment, painful experience in life, or you know someone close to you who has, and the idea of having a relationship with pain is intriguing to you. So you listen to the first three podcasts, and this one is about conditioning ourselves so that this lifelong relationship with pain will not define us. 
And over the years, we've learned a few things about pain, either pain that has been brought on on purpose, like that backpacking trip, <laughs> or a mountain biking journey, or something like that, or working out in the gym and pushing yourself extra hard, or leaning into a really important relationship and making sure that it's better, and managing conflict, or the pain of denying an appetite so you can have a better outcome down the road, or physical pain that is profound as a result of an illness or an injury. We've learned a few things about pain. In fact, we could call it even the science of pain. There are folks who have studied it deeply and we've dabbled around the edges of it in our work and learned a couple of things. One of them is that all pain is real pain, whether it's an objective pain or a subjective pain, whether it's neurological or psychological. We're so tightly integrated between our body and our mind and our neurology and our psychology. We're so tightly integrated that physical pain creates psychological pain. And we all know that psychological pain can create physical pain. We all know that and that that pain is real. So we've also learned that about 20% or so of the pain that we experience is sensory pain or what's sometimes called neurological pain, mechanical pain. And then about 80% of the pain that we experience is pain that is the result of amplifiers of that pain. These are emotions that we have that amplify the pain we experience. The five most common emotional amplifiers of pain we have are fear, guilt, anger, loneliness, and helplessness. Any sort of pain we experience will be dramatically exaggerated when we have and feed any of those five emotions. We know that fear takes whatever pain, for example, we're feeling and just exaggerates it. You've probably also learned to put a lid on your fear. The L stands for label it. Oh, that thing I'm feeling, that's actually fear. We talked about that earlier. Label it. That's the L in lid. And I identify it. Oh, what am I afraid of? And then the D, and put a lid on your fear, is decide to act now. So if you are experiencing pain of some sort and then amplify the pain by putting fear in place or allowing fear to grow and grow and grow, the way to deal with it is quickly put a lid on fear. Label it. Oh, that's fear. Identify it. What am I afraid of specifically? And then decide what I'm going to do right here, right now. What small thing can I do to deal with that fear? We also know that a way to deal with guilt, which is an amplifier of physical pain, an emotional amplifier of physical pain we're experiencing or psychological pain that we're experiencing is, is forgiveness. Forgive yourself and forgive other people. We also know that anger, which is that third one I listed in those five emotional amplifiers of pain, that anger is a secondary emotion. We don't just feel anger out of the blue like we might feel loneliness out of the blue or like we might feel uh, fear out of the blue. Anger is always the result of some other emotion. For example, if I feel guilty, then I might eventually feel angry. If I feel afraid, I might eventually feel angry. If I feel lonely, I might eventually feel angry. So anger is a secondary emotion. What did you feel before you felt anger? And anger is always the result of disappointed expectations. I expected this. I didn't get it. I got afraid. I got angry. I expected that. Oh, no, I can't believe I did that. I'm, I'm so, I can't believe I did that. I'm that kind of person. Ah, you feel guilty and then you feel angry, <laughs> right? 
And then loneliness, like I mentioned a moment ago, is also an amplifier of pain. We can be lonely when we're around a bunch of people. Uh, loneliness is a sense that uh, no one else gets me. Nobody else understands. And the antidote for loneliness is just getting around one person who truly gets you. We are often lonely by our own doing. We are not real transparent. We do not connect. We do not invest in deep, wonderful relationships. And we're not authentic. So we end up being lonely in our own minds, even with people around us. Then helplessness, that's the other amplifier that I listed a moment ago. That's, oh, I, I can't do it. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do. It's totally out of my control. That's a pretty powerful thing to actually begin to believe that that is true. But in fact, we are always able to pick our perspective and we're always able to pick the people we rely on, those we trust. And we are always able to manage our behavior right here and right now. So we are not helpless, even though I get it. Sometimes we feel helpless. So there, those are the five amplifiers of pain that you and I are experiencing. And they, they really take that little bit of pain or that great amount of pain and amplify them dramatically when they work alone or when they work together. Fear, guilt, anger, loneliness helplessness. Those are the things that make the pain a whole lot worse than it is on its own. So when we experience the pain of life, how we think about that pain and therefore how we feel about that pain is really, really important. There are several studies that involve the uh, administration of a powerful opioid painkiller to two different groups of patients who were experiencing a lot of pain. The first group was told that the medication in one of these studies would have little or no effect, even though it was actually a pretty powerful painkiller. And those people reported very low levels of relief from their pain. That second group of people was told that that very same medication, which was a very powerful painkiller, would have a strong effect, and they reported a significant reduction in their pain. Interesting, huh? There's many studies like that. In another series of studies of people suffering from uh, arthritis, I think it was, I think it was arthritis in the hands and knees. Some were given a placebo and some were given the powerful arthritis pain reduction medication, which is uh, another powerful opioid. The folks who were given the placebo reported exactly the same pain relief as those who were given that powerful opioid. This points to the ability of our brain's neurochemistry to create measurable outcomes, these measurable phenomena in our body. This mind and body connection is related to a very real confirmed scientific experiments that show that the neurochemistry of our brain is influenced by what we believe. The process of feeling something and then of thinking about it and of feeling more of it and thinking about it dramatically affects the experience of our pain. Change how we think and we'll change the experience of of the pain. Change what we believe is true and will change the experience of the pain. I'm not saying you can think away the pain of a broken rib. I'm not saying you can think away the pain of a lost or broken future or dream or relationship. I'm not saying that at all, but I'm saying that if you and I are, are aware of how we think about that pain and aware of those emotional amplifiers of that pain, we can actually manage that pain so that it doesn't crush us. So come on back with me to Lake Ingalls. Let's sit down by the edge of the water, crystal, crystal clear water. You can see deeply into it. It's got trout. There are jagged rocks surrounding the lakes and peaks and those alpine trees that grow sturdy but not very tall surrounding the lake. And, and sit there together with me. Imagine you've hiked up there with me. Imagine we took off our backpack. We made a little bit of a camp and we're sitting down now and relaxing by the edge of the lake. We learned a few things about that hike we learned that it was worth it. We learned we needed to choose our perspective as we were hiking up. 
that the pain we experienced was for a purpose, or that we could think about our pain differently, even if we had made the mistake of doing something incorrectly, of turning our ankle or picking the wrong trail or not bringing enough water, we, we could still choose our perspective. You and I, sitting there beside the lake, learned that if we manage our expectations about how difficult something will be and our expectations about its impact on us, that we will manage the pain very, very differently. We'll change our experience of something by changing our expectations in advance and during it. We also learned that, you know, the hike of life is better when you don't go alone. <laughs> we also learned that it's good to know where we're going. It's good to have a map from those who've been there before and follow their advice on the way. You and I probably would talk about how beautiful it was when we crested the ridge and could look down into the valley at Lake Ingalls. We'd talk about that. In fact, we probably stopped along the hike and caught our breath at the height of that beautiful, beautiful ridge looking down to see the lake from that vista. We probably did that. We probably didn't talk much about what we saw at our feet. We learned that really, if we're going to go through something difficult that causes pain, we should look up more than look down. There aren't very many good hikers who walk the entire time just looking down at their feet. <laughs> they could walk off the edge of a ridge, or they could walk up on a moose or a bear, and ugh, that would be a bit of a surprise. So spend more time looking up than looking down. We learned that when we hiked. And we also learned something really powerful. We learned to throw off those things hopefully in the garage before we started the actual trek up to the mountain to the trailhead to throw off everything that hinders our progress everything that hinders our progress to pack light we learned that that's one of the greatest lessons of managing a good hike or managing your life throw off everything that you really don't need by the way, what are you thinking right now as I tell you that? Did something come to mind that you think, wow, I spent time and energy and money on this, and it's actually making my life harder than it needs to be? Huh. Maybe you should throw that off. We learned to pack light. We learned to carry what's ours to carry, to divide the responsibility of life up between us and other people. And we learned when we, when we reached our goal that the entire trip was not really defined by the pain but it was defined by the outcome. The adventure, the outcome, the view, the achievement, once achieved, outweighs pain. Pretty easy to forget that, especially in the middle of it, especially when ah, there's another switchback and another one and another one and another one. And so some of what you and I experience as pain in life is the result of things utterly out of our control. But how we respond to that pain of life is always within our control. We are never helpless. Some of the pain you and I experience, we do so eyes wide open. You know, when I go to the gym and lift weights, I know it's going to hurt. <laughs> but I do it on purpose. Uh, not too much. I don't push it so much that it turns into that bad kind of pain. But, but I did that on purpose. I chose to go up to that mountain on purpose. I chose to learn that new skill and to fail at it and try it again and fail at it and try it again. I leaned into having direct communications and challenging myself and others around me to be better on purpose. I experienced the pain of rejection and people in life saying no and purposely chose to not step up and defend myself, but rather just to move on and to forgive. That's painful. That's difficult. I chose that on purpose. So whether the event that caused the pain was of my own making or not, you and I are responsible for choosing our perspective, for managing our expectations, for making sure we don't go it alone, 
for knowing ultimately where we're trying to go, for spending more time looking up than looking down at our feet. And we're responsible for carrying what's ours to carry, with a little bit of room to carry what someone else can't carry for a while. And we've learned to throw off everything that hinders our progress and to do so over and over and over because there's nothing about our culture that makes that easy. In fact, everything in our culture seems to say, add this, add that, add this, buy that, stick more of that in your backpack. That'll make it better. But there's nothing in our culture that naturally says, hey, how about you, how about you toss that? How about throwing that off? How about simplify your backpack along the way? It'll, it'll make the pain that you experience, the struggle that you experience along the way, less of a struggle or at least more meaningful of a struggle. So my friend, go somewhere important, take somebody with you, pack light. <laughs> I guess that's the I guess that's the lesson of the day. And in our next episode, we're going to talk about other people's pain. Of course, you and I are surrounded by people who are in pain like we are from time to time, perhaps even perpetually. Sometimes that pain has so wounded them that they wound other people. So we're going to talk a little bit about that in the fifth part of this six-part series called That's Gonna Leave a Mark, Your Relationship with Pain. Well, I'm going to enjoy the rest of this wonderful scotch today, and I'm going to enjoy the rest of this cigar, which, no surprise, went out a long, long time ago. I hope this is helpful for you, and I look forward to chatting with you down the road. Have a great day. And I'm sure you've heard about it by now, but you may want to check out our YouTube channel that has this kind of information, lots of helpful tips for folks who are in leadership, management, supervisory positions, or if you're an influencer of people daring folks to do great things. Check us out on YouTube. It's the Hilt, H-I-L-T, Academy, High Impact Leadership Training Academy on YouTube. Some great stuff. Join us over there. Subscribe when you get there, and that'll let us know you like that stuff. Anyway, have a great day. Thanks for joining me in today's School of Leadership. This podcast is part of the Archimedes Experiment, leveraged wisdom from the world's most effective leaders. If you're interested in more, go to my website, dhicks.com. Remember, my first name has only one E. Well, you'll find more short and helpful podcast books and blog posts. If this was helpful, maybe even share it with some of your friends. Have a great day.